Uh, hey, good morning. My name is Roger, and I'm the pastor here at Restore Church. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I, I, if you're new, if you're a guest to Restore Church, I just want to welcome you. Uh, I hope that you feel welcomed here already. Hey, I want to revisit something for just a moment. Um, we, uh, when you come in, if, if you're new, when you're a guest and you come in, uh, you receive a key. Now, now some of you here may, may be saying, man, I've been coming to Restore for a while, and I don't have a key. Still, we would still love for you to have one, and, and here's why. These keys are very important to us. Um, Jacksonville is not home for many people. Uh, some of us have chosen to make it our home. Some of you are forced for it to be your home. Um, either way, we want you to feel like Jacksonville is home to you. At the very least, we want you to feel like Restore Church is home to you. So when you come in, we, we give you a key, uh, and this is a key to your home to, for however long you're here that you feel like Restore Church is your home. It also doubles as a bottle opener for whatever you might find useful for that to be like opening a glass Coke or Pepsi. Uh, we are in North Carolina or whatever. You remember being in public school uh, and receiving a love note? Guys, if you received it, it was like perfectly, beautifully folded. Ladies, if you received one, it was just in a square because we don't have that much creativity. And uh, we would pass it along. Do you remember like what it was like to write it and, and then send it? I, I would always use like song lyrics, and then I would lick my finger and push it on the, on the, um, on the paper, and then I'd circle it and say, my tears for you. And I know, but it was smooth, and it worked. You remember what it was like to write one and pass it or, or to receive one and, like, open it up. And uh, I'll just tell you, ladies, if you wrote long ones, they didn't read it. Okay, we, we just didn't, but we're going to pretend like we did and write you back. And what, why didn't you write me? All that. Remember the drama that was with Love Notes. Goodness. I, uh, I am at probably the very core a romantic. Okay, like... Uh, I, I'm very sentimental, um, and which makes me a romantic hoarder. Like every love note that I received, most every love note that I received from my wife, I have going all the way back to when we were 18 years old. We are not 18 anymore. We are wiser, better looking, and smarter. Than we were then. But I have every note that, that she'd written to me, and that's when you all were supposed to go, aw, but I guess you missed that cue. Um, it's so weird that uh, we went to a high school football game in, in my hometown, and, and then afterwards we went to uh, McDonald's, and, and my wife got a Happy Meal. Maybe it was Wendy's, but anyway, my wife got a Happy Meal, and to make this completely really weird, I still have the toy that came in her Happy Meal box. There you go. So I have this box. At, at, I, there are two of them, actually, and we kind of combined all of ours together. Uh, um, and, and it's a box that every now and then I will, I will go to. Last night I opened it up and, and started reading some of the, the notes in there. And at one point in my life I was in a band, uh, and we were not good. We were not good. But we pretended as we were because we believed that we were good. Um, and the problem when you're in a band that's not good and then you join the battle of the bands is that, one, you're going to lose, but two, everyone's going to know that you're not good. Thing is, everybody already knew that we weren't good. 
But in this box last night, I found on, on green construction paper uh, an encouraging card from my girlfriend at the time, wife now. I said, you guys are going to do great. Like, you are lying with the markers that you are drawing these balloons on. But I love them. I return this box uh, every now and then, and it's a reminder for me. It's a reminder that if nobody else in this world loves me, I have a son who loves me. The very first Clemson paw print he ever drew is in there. Uh, I have a daughter who loves me probably more than most people in this world. Um, I have a wife who's loved me since 2006. Maybe it took her a little bit long to love me, but, but anyway. Um, uh, and it's a reminder. That box is a reminder for me of uh, that, that I'm loved. And when this kind of world gets upside down, or when I get upside down on what I'm thinking or, or how I've been treated or whatever, I just go to this box. There are some notes that you've written me, that you've stuck in my Bible or tucked in my book bag that I've put in there. There's, there's cards that you'd given for Pastor Appreciation Month or, or maybe just to drop me that, that we keep in there. That box is also a reminder to me of, of how to love. Do you remember your first date and, and you pull up and there's, you got some butterflies in your stomach? Remember that? And then the more you date, the longer you date, those butterflies just kind of fly out, fly away one by one. And, and you're like, you, you can open your own door. <laughs> you, can, um, you, know, you can pull out your own chair. You, you can pump your own gas. Those butterflies just tend to escape. And, and that box reminds me of not only that I'm loved, but, but how I once loved and, and how I could love again. And, and it reminds me of the butterflies you got. And, and it reminds me of the joy that that first Clemson Paul print brought me. And it, and it reminds me of that first scribble scrabble on a paper that my daughter was so proud to give to me. Um, first John is that box. The book of First John is going to remind us of what it's like to be loved. It's going to remind us who we are. <clears throat> it's going to remind us why we're loved. What it took to love us. I hope that as we study, we kind of can get the butterflies again. But not only that, it's going to remind us how to love. It's going to tell us how to love and to let the cat out of the bag. Just we get our example from Jesus. Ultimately, it's going to point back to the big fact that God is love. And so we're starting a new teaching series today called Love Notes. Um, and uh, it's a study just straight through of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, there are a couple on the inside of the rows. If you, um, uh, or you can follow along on the screens. We'll have all scripture on the screens. You can download the Restore Church app, and in the bulletin section, you can see all of our announcements that we just made. Did y'all hear the one about the big one that's coming next week? It is, as our president would say, huge. Uh, so be here for that. And um, you can follow along on announcements. You can, maybe there's a song that we sang that you're like, man, I like that. I've never heard it before. On our app, on the bulletin section, there's a Spotify playlist, and you can hear all the songs that we sing uh, through this series. But you can also follow along with key notes and key points that, I, that I'm making this morning. You, you'll look at what I'm looking at. Uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can download it there. And under the live events section, uh, you can search for Restore Church, and you'll see some notes there. Um, pop quiz for the day. Uh, the book of 1 John was written by whom? 
Why did I say it like that? Written by who? Yeah, John. Dude, the first service just embarrassed y'all. They all knew it. Okay, maybe you guys are just sleeping in still. But for, uh, First John is written by John. Now, here's who John is. This is so important for us to know. John. He wrote the Gospel of John. Now, Jesus, this was his best friend. Jesus had three best friends among the twelve, right? It was Peter, James, and John. Now, James and John are our brothers. Um, and so uh, um, John was, like, always there with Jesus. So he gets the honor, right, to write a story, to, to tell the story of Jesus. So he writes the Gospel of John. I mean, we have this guy, and, and in John, in the Gospel of John, is known as the one that Jesus loved. How cool is that? John, when he's uh, old in age, he gets like uh, exiled to this island. And, and John, of all the people in the first century, of every individual to live in the first century, it's John that Jesus shows heaven to. It's recorded in the book of Revelation. He writes Revelation. We got a lot of questions for him when we get to heaven. He also writes Literally writes the book on love. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. I mean, can we continue like, to build this dude up on a pedestal? Right? Like, um, the one Jesus loved. Jesus is on the cross. And his mom is there watching. How awful. And Jesus uses one of his last breaths to say, John, I'm giving you my mother. And mom, please take John as your son. Whoa. Ultimately, uh, John is going to die because he refuses to renounce Jesus. I mean, this is the man, right? Now, first John is written when he's older. Like, he's, he's in his old age. He's, he's probably got, you know, kind of like mid-sized black beard, some, some white in it. You know what I'm saying? Gently balding, probably a good-looking guy. And anyway, when he gets older, he wants to share his wisdom with, um, with, with these, these people. And we'll explain who that is in just a moment. But he hadn't always been like that. I don't exactly want you to turn there in your Bible unless you feel comfortable. But I'm going to outline a chapter for you in the book of Matthew that really describes John and us. Matthew chapter 20, there's, there's, it's starting to get real. Like, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. And, and chapter 20 is like, we're only a couple chapters away from Jesus dying. Um, and so the beginning of, of uh, Matthew chapter 20 begins with Jesus telling a story about someone who, a man who owns a vineyard. Um, and he sees a group of men and he says, hey, why aren't you working? And they said, no one's hired us. And he said, all right, here's the deal. I will hire you for a full day's work from, I don't know, let's call it eight to five. And I will pay you a full day's wage. The Bible calls it a denarii. I'll pay you one denarii to work from eight to five. Deal. That's a fair deal. A couple, couple hours later, let's call it three hours in, he, he finds another group of men, this, this vineyard owner, and he says, hey, why aren't you working? They said, no one's hired us. He said, I'll hire you. Go into the field and work. Okay, a couple hours pass, and he sees another group of men not working. He says, hey, group of men who are not working, why aren't you working? They said, no one's hired us. He said, I will hire you. Go to work. Well, there's only a couple minutes left in, in the, um, the workday. And he sees yet another group. He says, well, hey, guys, why aren't you working? 
He said, no one's hired us. And he says, okay, well, I will hire you, only, if only for the next couple of minutes. Please go work in the vineyard. Well, finally, when the time comes, the owner of the vineyard goes to the manager, and he says, hey, it's time to pay everyone um, their, their wages. So he starts with the group that has worked for only minutes. And so when they come up and, and, and receive their payment, they receive one denarii. And the, the group that had only been working for a couple hours, they come up for their payment and they receive one denarii. And the group that had been working a half day, they come up to receive their payment and they receive one denarii. And, and the group that had been working from eight to five, they're covered in grapes. Uh, they say they receive their payment and it's one denarii and they are angry. And they're so mad and they say, man, it doesn't, this doesn't make sense. This is not fair that the people who came in at just the last moment get the same reward we do. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the story to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. That one day we will all get the same reward, whether it's in the last minute or you've been a Christ follower your whole life. That's where we get the verse, the, the first shall be last and last shall be first. It's not talking about a race. It's just talking about we all get the same reward for serving Jesus. Well, then it gets real. Jesus turns to his disciples, and it's the third and last time in the book of Matthew where he tells them, hey, guys, this has been fun. I've loved every minute of it, but in just a couple days, Matthew, a couple chapters, I'm going to die. And, and I'm going to resurrect again, but, but I'm going to die. Now, look, you're the one Jesus loved. What's your response? You know, you only have hours left with him. I mean, what are you going to do? Tim McGraw, live like you were dying, right? Like, what are you going to say to him? You're going to say things like, uh, dude, you've changed my life. You, you turned me from a fisherman into to something that's going to mean way more than that. You, you taught me how, what loving God looks like. It's not laws. It's a relationship. You, you told me that I can't be stricken by guilt, but I have freedom through you. Like, Jesus, thank you for all of that. Isn't that what you would expect from Jesus' best friend? That's not quite what happens. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey guys, I'm, uh, I'm going to die. In a couple. James and John aren't listening. James and John are called the sons of thunder. How cool is that? I just want to be their dad. And when they walk in, when someone says, hey, look, it's the sons of thunder. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at my wife and be like, you know what that makes me? Thunder. <laughs> How cool is that? The sons of thunder. But I digress. <laughs> um, can you guys just start calling my kids the children of thunder? Thanks. Appreciate that. Okay. Um, yeah, so they're not paying any attention. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, my friend Marco, his sister was uh, like a, a uh, in this cheering competition. I mean, it was like serious stuff. We, they would travel all up and down the East Coast to, to compete for regionals and, and all of those things. And, um, but there was one that was coming up in a, in, on the weekend, and it was going to be huge. But the, the deal was we would ha they would have to leave on Wednesday uh, to get down there and get settled. And then the competition would start Friday evening and go into Saturday. But everyone had to be there. Was, the team was called Kentucky Elite, if you were wondering. And... Uh, so Marco says, hey, dude, I would like for you to go to Atlanta with me. Now, who doesn't want to go to Atlanta? 
whether it's players play or ride on things like every day. You know what I'm saying. And so I do. I want to go to Atlanta. So I say, yes, let's go. He said, well, ask your mom. That's a terrible plan, Marco. My mom's favorite hobby is saying no. So let's devise a plan. Hey, your mom wants you to have company, right? Well, yeah. And your mom wants me to go, right? Yeah. So why doesn't your mom ask my mom? Y'all, just like in 24 hours, we were looking for Jermaine Dupree at every red light. Like we were in Atlanta. It works when your mom asks, except in Matthew 20. James and John go to their mom and they say, Mom, look, we want to sit at the right hand and the left hand, the right side and the left side of Jesus in eternity, but we don't have the guts to ask. Our dad's called Thunder, not us. You know, we don't have the guts to ask. Would you ask Mom of Thunder? And she does. She goes to Jesus and she says, Hey, can they sit at your right and your left? And Jesus is like, You don't get it. Didn't you hear what I just said? I'm going to die. And so he says to James and John, Don't, don't, you, can you handle the death that I'm going to die? Like, can you die the death I'm going to die? And they lie on their resume to get the job. They're like, of course we can. Yes, we can. I just imagine Jesus shaking his head. It's like, you still don't get it. This is not about you. You know, God's going to decide that. But for right now, we have a purpose. And we read these verses in Matthew chapter 20. It says, when the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, so now everyone's in like the conference room. And he says, you know, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They, they use their position. Their, the high officials exercise authority over them. And these key words are so important. He says, but not so with you. They use it for their own gain, but not for you, John and James. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'd imagine that everyone's just kind of stunned, and they leave. They start to walk. <clears throat> There's a couple blind men over here, and they're yelling to Jesus, please come over here, come over here, come over here. The disciples, among, uh, among many others, are telling the, the blind man, just be quiet. This is Jesus you're talking to, and Jesus stops right where he is. He walks over to the blind man, and he said, what do you want me to do? And they say, we want our sight, sight back, and, Je and Jesus touches them, and he gives them their sight back. I mean, it's a great display, a, like a great connection of events where... All of a sudden, these disciples, right, you would imagine that Jesus would say, yes, you can sit at my right and left, and, and you can sit in seat 9, 10, 11. Judas, you can sit in the back. You know, like I would imagine he'd start signing seats, but he doesn't. He said, this isn't about you. And then he shows them, look, this is who it's about. It's the, about the people that, that everyone else is trying to keep away from God. Man, I didn't come to serve myself. I, came to serve everyone as a ransom for, for many. And maybe it was right here. Maybe in this moment, it, John realized, man, we got to do this different. We have got to learn to love differently. 
hey, Restore, we have got to learn to love differently. I mean, when we, when we, make up, when we wake up in the morning, like every day we wake up with this default, a default to love ourselves, a default to, to, put, to put me first. And, you know, it's, it's kind of not your fault. Let me ask you a question. This is a great question for you, for you to answer. I don't know if you can answer it now. You might have to wrestle with it later. But where did you learn to love? For me, growing up, it was MTV and VH1. Terrible place to learn how to love. Maybe, you, maybe you're like addicted to the uh, Bachelor or the Bachelorette. Y'all, that's, that's not what love looks like. Maybe you learned to love from your parents, and for some of you, that was a great ideal example of what love looks like, but for others of you, it looked like war every day, and that's not what love is. Where are you learning to love right now? Uh, for some of us, it's, it, our spouse teaches us what love looks like, man, and it's a beautiful example of, of humility and serving the other, but in other areas, it's a spouse who, who tears down your worth and and. And, and maybe worse. And we need to re-examine what love looks like. Where do you learn what love is? Maybe you have a bad taste in your mouth about love. I think the best example I've learned of love outside of Jesus in the scriptures is from my grandparents and watching them and how they talk to each other and treat each other and, and treat everybody else. Regardless of, of where you've learned to love, if it's not from Jesus, it's imperfect. And there's nowhere in our culture where you can learn to love completely outside of Jesus. Um, because you and I, because of culture and because of our, you know, just carnal instinct, we wake up every day leaning toward, we have like a default setting. And that default setting is, is not love, it's, it's really hate. I mean, what happened the last time someone cut you off? Don't tell me the story, please. <laughs> Did you give them the benefit of the doubt that they've been trying to find a job for the last six months and this morning nothing went right for them? Uh, their children were sick and their alarm went off late. By the way, that doesn't happen, y'all. Your alarm doesn't... Can, can we just grow up for a second? Can I, can I help you here? Your alarm doesn't go off late. Your alarm goes off when you set it to. So if you snooze it, it'll go off late. But that's not the alarm's fault. So bosses, stop taking That doesn't work. All right, just so we're back on the right page. <laughs> uh, just life lessons from Roger. Anyway, it's not in the Bible. We need to get back to it. Um, <clears throat> did, did you give them the, the benefit of the doubt? That? Probably not. And I didn't either. Because our bent is, I got to be 15 minutes early for where I'm going, and you can't hold me up. Maybe they're on their way to the hospital to, to visit someone for the last couple moments. But probably not. They're probably just doing it on purpose to get at you. Because that's what everybody else does. You see what I mean? Like, we have a default setting. Our immediate setting is, is not love. And if it's not love, then the opposite of it is, is hate. Like, that's just how we do it. I, there's a pastor, man, that's really good friends of mine. And, a long time ago, he, he would stand in front of people, and, and to make the joke, he would say, it was for a joke. He didn't mean it, but he would say, man, I just hate people. <laughs> it's like, brother, you need to sit down then. 
You cannot follow Jesus and hate people. You cannot follow Jesus and hate people. It doesn't work like that. So we have to. Like, it is so important that we hit the reset button. We have got to relearn. We have got to learn all over again what it's like to love people and for our default every day to be toward love and not hate. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, if you've never read it, you need to because it is so impactful for the Christ follower. He says it like this. He says, love, in a Christian sense, does not mean an emotion. Am I following? It is not an emotion. It is a state. Not of the feeling, but of the will. Of the determination, of the, the decision making. Okay. Love is not a feeling. It's a state. A state of the will. And that state of the will, that which we have naturally about ourselves we must learn to have it toward other people. Man, that's so crucial for us to learn. We have got to learn to love differently, and so we're going to return to our, um, our box, our love notes. All right, we're here in 1 John, but before we get into 1 John, <clears throat> I'm excited to get to 1 John. Okay, so we do use the Bible here, I promise. 1 John is written by someone, for someone, uh, by someone, somewhere, sometime, for a specific reason. Am I following? Every time you read a letter from anybody, it's from someone, for someone, at a certain time, for a specific reason. And so when John writes this, this letter, it's more like a sermon than it is a letter. He's sending it to people who are very special to him. See, John has my heart, not because he was loved by Jesus the most, or the one Jesus loved. He has my heart because he was a church planter. He started a brand new church in the city of Ephesus. You've heard about it before. There's, uh, in, in Revelation, there's a part where it says to the church of Ephesus. There's a whole book called Ephesians where Paul writes a letter to them. I mean, Timothy, first and second Timothy, Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Like, it is an important church to know. And John started it. Now, there is an extreme relationship between someone who starts a church and their people. Um, Besides your mother, (laughs) I don't know all of you. This church loves you more than most people that you don't know. And there is a special relationship between the person, the people who start a church, uh, and the church. Now, now, John starts this church at Ephesus, or at least had a hand in it, and, and he leaves to go start other churches. And then he hears that there are people that are coming in and teaching things that are not uh, that are not biblical, right? Like, they're called false teachers in the Bible. And so it would be like if, if I weren't here, like if we're in the first century and, and I go to start another church, y'all, that's not happening, just so that we're aware. But if, if, um, if I were to go start another church, because we're in the first century and that's what you normally do, and then someone were to come in here and teach you, man, all you got to do is put 10, all you got to do is put $100 in that, that box back there and there's going to be 10000 in your checking account. Y'all, the gospel does not work like that. Um, and so if you're hearing someone on YouTube or the television tell you that that's the way it works, it does not. That's called false teaching. 
And if I heard that, man, I'd be angry that that's what's being taught at the church that, that we started. It would be like someone coming in here and be like, dude, if your life's upside down, all you got to do is follow Jesus, and it'll all be better. You'll be happy the rest of your life because God cares about your happiness. That's what Joel Osteen teaches. Y'all stop listening to that clown. Man, that was hateful. Um, he's not a clown. Paul teaches us that as long as the gospel is being preached. But that's not right. Y'all following Jesus is hard. 2019 was one of the most difficult seasons of my life. And so following Jesus doesn't make everything better. And if you're listening to that, it's not right. Man, I would be angry if someone were in here teaching that stuff. So we have the book of 1 John. There's this group that comes in. They teach, they teach three things. We're going to go through these pretty quickly. The first thing is that God is distant. They believe that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not the same person. That God created everything and let it be. And then the God of the New Testament is not perfect, which brings us to the second thing, that Jesus was imperfect. We should have him on the screen. Uh, that, that Jesus was imperfect. Then there was this other strange teaching that says Jesus, although he appeared to be there, was not actually there. And, and that really came because they didn't have an answer for the resurrection. Y'all, one event, all of a sudden, three days after the resurrection, the world changes. And false teachers have nothing, they, they can't do anything about it. And so to give themselves credibility, they say, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. It just seemed like he did. He was just an appearance of a man. Jesus didn't rot, raise from the grave. It just seemed like he did. Uh, he's just an appearance. And so, uh, and so John's like, man, I can't deal with this. Like, I love those people, and, and I can't go on with them learning and hearing these, these garbage-style teachings about what God is. And so we have the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. We'll return to the box, the love notes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, which we proclaim concerning the word of life. Can, can you kind of hear his like reaction to that? It wasn't that he just appeared. Y'all, we touched him. It wasn't that he didn't exist. We heard him. We felt him. We've seen him. He was there. Um, you, you catch these first couple words in the, uh, that which was from the beginning. Does it take you back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Like he's, he's making no doubt about who's writing this sermon to you. It is John. It is the person that you all joined hands with, like the guy that was there who loved you. And man, I've seen it. I watched him walk over to blind men. When we were trying to get him not to, I, I watched him touch blind men and heal them. Look, I've heard it. I've seen it. I've felt it. I've, I've touched it. And, and this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. Um, it's almost like John is pleading with him. Do you trust me? C can you trust me? Please. Just listen then. Because I'm going to tell you what love looks like. Remember that John was not the perfect guy. He had come from uh, a bent or a default toward loving himself. And so here's what John realizes in chapter 1, verse 1. 
is this, is that he's been forgiven much. So he must love much. So if you're writing down notes, this would be a key one. Forgiven much, love much. If you don't have a life motto, that, that might be a good one. Forgiven much, love much. So it's not just a rebuttal against this false teaching. It's not just, they say we didn't see him, I saw him. They say you couldn't feel him, I touched him. It's more like, y'all, I have felt him. I've, I've watched him. I care for his mother, who is mine now. And I've got to tell you about this. So we get to verse 2. Um, it says that the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to, the, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Here we go again. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He says here, the life appeared. If you were to go back and read the Gospel of John, and in chapter 1, he begins with the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God, and, and then he continues going down describing the Word. And in chapter 1, verse 14, he said, And the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us. He put on skin, right, and, and lived among us. The, the um, message says that he moved into the neighborhood. And that is one of the critical teachings of, of Christian life, is that God is perfect, and Jesus, who is half God, or no, holy God and completely human, that he moves in with us. And so John says that the life appeared, not just the life, but life in and of himself appeared, and then broke the silence between God and man. Remember, they say that God is distant, and maybe you feel like that. Maybe you're sitting here today saying God's not real, but church makes me feel better. Or, or God doesn't exist. If he did, this would happen.